Welcome to the Breakthrough the Ordinary podcast. Are you ready to be committed to your future self? If you are, sibling duo Mark and Claudine Schramante will take you on a journey of self-discovery to unlock your highest potential. Through impactful conversations with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, coaches, and healers, we are here to share practical strategies and tools that generate the life you envision. New episodes drop every Monday. And we're happy to have uh, Tanya here with us today. She's the president and founder of the Paris Foundation. It's a, a stem-ulating minds as well as CEO of the Paris Group Incorporated, a technical, financial, professional, and personal development consulting and coaching firm that supports social and emotional learning, intelligence, and responsibility seminars, workshops, and retreats. Prior to her commitment to be in service of others, Tanya followed her passion for technology and pursued a career as a software engineer in the financial industry, where she worked amidst women on Wall Street who had global responsibility in the information technology application development space. Also graduated from the University of Pennsylvania with a master's in the engineering program at the Moore School. She currently serves on the Watson School of Engineering Advisory Committee that has educational opportunities and a program Binghamton University and committed over 12 years of service on the Binghamton Alumni Board of Directors. Having grown up in public housing in the Bronx, Tanya has invested interest and can relate to the economically distressed communities that she serves. I have to say, you are one dynamic woman. Honored to have Tanya Paris here. I'm curious, something I don't know about you, is what is that journey? Like, we, we can read the paper, but really, what is that, that transformation you can share with our listeners, like going from Wall Street to becoming this altruistic entrepreneur, if you could tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So thank you. First, I want to say thank you for having me. It's wonderful to be here and appreciate you all inviting me on your show. So in, in terms of my journey from, from Wall Street to shifting what I'm doing now, I first want to say I, I really love what I did on Wall Street. Like I loved my job. I loved uh, working with really, really smart people. My pockets were full. It was wonderful. And so people ask me all the time, like, so if it was so great, like, why aren't you doing it anymore? And for me, it became about shifting my life's focus from one of significance and certainty, uh, because that's the space that I was living from. I was living from a space where it was really important for me to feel significant and be significant and certainty. Like I needed to know for sure that I was going to have or attain certain things. And that's because of how I grew up. You know, as, as you mentioned, Mark, I grew up in public housing and all my life I was told how insignificant I was, how I wasn't going to amount to anything. All my life, I grew up in poverty as a young girl in the Bronx and we didn't have anything and we weren't certain about what we were going to have for dinner, what it was going to be. We weren't certain that we would be able to buy all the toiletries we needed to take care of ourselves, right? And I'm talking about making decisions. Do you buy toilet paper this month or do you buy deodorant this month or shampoo and soap this month? Those were choices. We, we weren't able to get them all at the same time. And so for me, it was really important as I grew up that I was in a place where I felt significant and I felt certain. And I want to say that Wall Street did that for me. And then I grew up, right? Wow, this is not really what life's all about. Life's not about like being significant and certain. 
I felt it in Wall Street, right? I felt great, be, you know, being flown around all over the world in first class flights and five star hotels. And that felt amazing. However, this is not what life's about. When you think about people who are leaving us, who, are, who know that they are transitioning and, and dying, they're not talking about, I had, you know, 100 people working for me all around the globe and I took these first class flights and stayed in this five star hotel and I worked for such and such firm and I made this much a year with that bonus. They're talking about what are the magic moments that I created with my friends and my family? What are some of the wonderful photos and videos that we created together? What type of legacy am I leaving? And that's what really struck me. That's what really hit me, that life is not about significance and certainty. It's not about how full your pockets are and how you're working around smart people all the time. It's really about what is your contribution, right? Life is about love, connection, and contribution. And what is your contribution? What type of legacy are you going to leave? And that typically is not one of certainty and significance, right? It's, it's all about love, connection, and contribution. So I found that I was spending my weekdays being around smart people and learning, loving to learn. And, but on the weekends, I volunteered, and I, I felt so much full in my heart to volunteer and support people with all different types of things, you know, from women's shelters to supporting children. I explored a lot of it in my volunteer work. And, and I thought, man, like, this is what I should be doing every day of the week, right? This is what life's about. And so my journey to where I am now is, is really about living and fulfilling my purpose to be here, which is to live in love, connection, and contribution. That's beautiful. And you certainly are a contribution. We've experienced it firsthand. So you started Paris Foundation. You started a STEM school, or I don't know exactly what you call it. Can you explain to us like what is STEM and what your Paris Foundation does and stuff like that? Absolutely. So, so STEM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Math. And I must say that um, I personally fell in love with computers at the tender age of eight years old. I'm going to tell my age now. So I fell in love with a Tandy TRS-80. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> now, some people don't know what that is, right? They, they have no idea. Like, what the heck is a Tandy uh, TRS-80? So Radio Shack, which no longer exists, had one of the first computers that was a Tandy TRS-80. When I was eight years old, we had one in my public library, in the library of my public school. And I fell in love with that thing. I mean, and I decided at the tender age of eight, I'm going to learn everything I can about computers. I absolutely love computers. And so I had the opportunity to attend a high school and study computer science. We were able to have majors at my high school. So you can choose computer science, accounting, marketing, or stenography. And I, <laughs> and I thought, hey, <laughs> it's computer science for me, <laughs> right? And I was, I was lucky, uh, it, you know, and I went to high school in the late 80s. And back then, computer science, a lot of people didn't even know what computer science was. So I was lucky to be able to walk into college already having four programming languages under my belt 
after attending a high school where I can choose a major of computer science. Now computer science is more a household name, like people know about it and they know what it is. But I'm saying all of this to say that the Paris Foundation Stimulating Minds grew out of my love for computers from when I was a little girl. And it was my ticket out of poverty. It was my ticket out of poverty because had I not been exposed to that Tandy TRS-80 in my library, I would not have wanted to pursue anything. And so when I look at the, especially kids who live in poverty, many do not go a few miles past where they live. So they have no idea. And so people only know what they're exposed to. And so the Paris Foundation Stimulating Minds supports youth out of poverty through education by providing interactive and engaging extended learning opportunities. So we're not a school, but we're actually an extended learning space for science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And we offer continuous support for students from middle school through post-grad education at the ages that they're most impressionable, which is from the ages of 10 to 25 years old. So when I say continuous support, that's like, that's really important because a lot of kids can join programs, right? There, there are programs out there where you can get involved in a program over the summer for a couple of months, and then the program is over. That's it. It's ended. And then maybe you can join another program. But this is continuous support with, with children from 10 to 25. So a lot of them grow up with us. We're watching them from middle school. We're listening to voices change. We're seeing just people change over the years. And they have a group of friends and also people, adults that, that support us to support them through their education. And what's most important is that we create a safe space for these youth to learn in an environment that is loving and kind, where everyone gets that they're important. Everyone gets that. And they don't always get that in school, especially the kids living in poverty. That's important for us to have that safe space for them. Wow. You physically have a, a building like you provide, so there's a consistency in location. We do. And, and I want to say prior to COVID, we had a, a few locations that we did our programs at. We still have a few locations right now due to COVID. Parents, our teachers and students, of course, they need the most support right now, but we're doing a lot of other things virtually and we're able to reach a lot more kids because of COVID. And Uncle COVID bought us many gifts, right? <laughs> um. Come Uncle COVID. You got to give him some respect. Right? He's been around for a while. So, so Uncle COVID, you know, brought out the best and worst in, in people and in many ways. And one of the gifts that, that was given was like, we can expand and do other things virtually. So we now have a physical and a virtual presence, which we didn't have before. Congratulations. Yeah, that is great. Yeah, these are, right, the gifts, you're right, they, they come out. There's, in, in darkness comes light. And, and that distinction from is that part of Paris Foundation Stimulating Minds? Or is there, like, because I also know that there's a consulting coaching organization, but they're all housed under the Paris Foundation? They're separate entities. So the Paris Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit organization and is a completely separate entity than the Paris Group, right? Which is our consulting, planning, and and coaching firm. And could you speak into the, do you do under the Paris Group? I know there was a description in your bio, but how does that also 
go into that vision for you of your in living in purpose? It's a great question. And in my vision and purpose to serve youth, you know, leaving Wall Street and, and mentioning that my pockets felt very, you know, nice and fat, leaving Wall Street to start a nonprofit organization. Yeah. Obviously, that was an adjustment. Making that adjustment, I, I started a consulting company and I was a solopreneur for a long time starting this consulting company and leaving Wall Street because that was my way to continue to uh, survive, right? To make money and, you know, pay, pay my bills. And while I built the Paris Foundation and created what I wanted to create there. And then I decided, wait a minute, the, the same way that I had the epiphany to start the Paris Foundation, meaning I shouldn't just be giving out scholarships to kids on my own to go to college. This should grow to be something bigger. I could, you know, pull together a whole board to support me to raise money and, and have a larger program uh, for the Paris Foundation to expose youth to STEM so that they actually can receive our scholarships. The same way that the Paris group morphed into while we were creating a safe and conscious space for kids, we were finding that the parents were not as conscious. And so my consulting company that was originally just a solopreneur company where I would go out and loan myself out to other Wall Street companies as a full-on technologist morphed into this consulting training and coaching company to create corporate consciousness, corporate transformation and expansion while providing continuing emotional intelligence development uh, for folks through seminars and workshops and retreats. And so we thought that would be one way to support and serve some of these parents and not just through corporations, right? Also through some of the other companies where the parents work. So our services support companies to navigate things like large initiatives or small roadblocks to uh, provide tools and help them cultivate and explore self-observation, which is really what emotional intelligence is, right? To have a level of awareness where we're enabling them to have reflective conversation powered by masterful listening right, of our coaches, of our, of our trainers. And so what I did was I put the two things that I love most together. I put technology together with my studies of emotional intelligence, and I transformed the Paris group to offer the services of two companies and providing a space uh, for people to to think about where they want to take their companies, what strategies they want to take their companies to identify areas where they might need improvement, not just in technology, but also in strategy and operations and find ways around things that come across as challenging, all while motivating their employees and redesigning the approaches in how they look at things and supporting them to creating extraordinary results. It's a very niche business. And to be able to take two of the things that I love the most and bring them together has shifted me from the solopreneur to having a full-on you know, corporation that I can offer companies. And so companies are becoming more and more conscious and aware of their people. And they're wanting to be more socially responsible, but they still, you know, need to get their work done. And so we found a way to do that by combining both of these. Phenomenal. I'm so happy to hear that there's an opening and that you're ready to respond. You were inspiring before. Now I'm even learning more and it's even more like that you're 
you know, people might have these ideas, but you enact these, you, you make it happen. You're somebody that just doesn't talk it or think about it. You are actually creating. Committed action. So, I mean, you're altruistic, you're creating this, you're help. How does Tanya recharge? How does Tanya take care of herself? How do you become the space for all of this? I mean, you're a space, a, a being space of... Thank you for that. I mean, you know, they say it takes a takes a village, right? It, it's a journey. I'm learning and growing every day. They say if you are not learning and growing, you know, you're rotting and you're dying. I'm constantly like putting myself in a place of learning and growing and, you know, having support, like strong family and people that you love. What recharges me also are the results, right? Because while I'm out and I'm watching people on their individual journeys and knowing that I've contributed, even in some small way, that's a big deal. You know, that's a big deal. I can now see some of the kids who were in my program that started with me in sixth grade that are now seniors in college. And I'm like, wow, you chose, you know, mechanical engineering or computer science or bioengineering or whatever you chose to study. You chose that because you came to the Paris Foundation Stimulating Minds program. And to think that I had an inkling of something to do with that is like, that's amazing. You know, I'm watching adults completely transform in front of my eyes, right? And saying, thank you. You, you saved my life. I, before I walked into this workshop, I was, I was thinking of ending my life. And you not only changed my life, you saved my life. That's like awe-inspiring. And that's fuel. That is fuel for, for me to just keep going and have my battery recharged over and over again. Honestly, there's not a day go, that goes by where I don't get a text from someone that says, you know, you touched me and changed me in some way. And I find that amazing. I got a Facebook message from someone that I grew up with in public housing in the Bronx. And I hadn't seen this guy probably since we were like maybe 13 years old. I just haven't seen him, right? And I got a message out of the blue saying, you know, thank you, Tanya. I want you to know that, I've, that you've always inspired me and I've always looked up to you. And I said, wow, that means a lot to me. You know, like, you know, how are you? He was like, no, I really mean it. You need to take this in because when everyone was laughing at me in the projects, you were, you were the person, when I was trying to learn how to roller skate, when everyone was laughing at me, you took the time to really stop and support me and teach me what to do and how to move my feet so I wouldn't fall. And while others laughed, you helped me. And to this day, I'm getting joked up just thinking about it. To this day, I'm so grateful because it told me that there were kind and loving people out there. Amazing, you know? So I get filled up just supporting people. Beautiful reflections of you. Yeah, when you, when you said this, that moment, I thought about that, the first breath, the give birth, the bring forward. I've been a part of that for so many people. That's beautiful. To live in this vision and purpose that you do, what are the principles that you live by? I, I want to say fundamentally one of the most important principles for me is integrity. To be your word and to have a, a certain level of commitment to excellence. It's one of the things that I needed to learn. I had to learn the difference between like attempting to be perfect and you know what, Tanya, do your best. And when you're doing your best, it's as excellent as you can get it. Right. And that's a commitment 
to excellence because if you're striving for perfect, you're always going to be striving for perfect. Perfect is, it doesn't really exist. And so having integrity and having a commitment to excellence, really important principle and guide for me in my life. Living from a place of responsibility, that I'm responsible for everything, right? If I am not creating the life of my dreams, I'm responsible. If I am not in the, the income bracket that I'd like to be, I'm responsible. If I'm not in the most loving relationship that I want, I am responsible. Living from a place of responsibility allows you to really reflect or allows me to really reflect on who I am and where my gaps are, what I get to look at so that I can continue to grow, right? To green and growing. That's where I want to be always, right? As opposed to ripe and rotting. So living in that space of responsibility always. So integrity, a commitment to excellence, living from a place of responsibility, love, connection, and contribution, I believe is what life is all about. So in that space of contribution, altruism is key, you know, giving to give, not giving to receive, but just giving to give because you, you want to do that. You love to do that. Oh, thank you thank you for sharing that. I'm inspired. I have to do more. <laughs> I want to step it up a level. So you said relationships. So can you tell us how, how you created it? What did you have to be to find that or bring that or attract that to you? You know, how's it work? Developing it and growing it, making it greener. Yeah. And always growing, right? Like any relationship, you know, it's not, things are not always easy, but, but really it's about loving each other through it, right? Because we all have our past traumas, our past turmoils, our past tragedies. And it, it's really about living and being in the present moment and supporting people that you love through it. The, the healing is, it usually happens throughout your life. Um, and so, what we call it is 10 relationship, right? Usually people ask you questions like on a scale of one to 10, on a scale of one to 10. So a term that we've heard often in the, in the work of transformation is what is your 10 relationship? Or So 10 relationship is about loving each other through it, right? And being and living in the present moment. And I think that there are some fundamental aspects or attributes of allowing that to happen. And fundamentally, the baseline is trust, right? In any relationship, it, it can, whether romantic or otherwise, trust is your baseline. Trust is your very baseline that, that holds everything up, right? The core foundations before anything else. The next one I would say would be to love with absolutely no conditions, love with no conditions, like literally just give it away because you can, right? You, you have the power to just give it away. And some people will say people love in three different ways, right? I love myself or I'll love you if you love me, or I will love unconditionally. And when you think about it, the way that we love children, right? I don't have any children, but I have children of the Paris Foundation, right? And I love them unconditionally. I have younger siblings and a niece and a nephew, and I love them unconditionally. If a child does something wrong, do we take our love away from them? We don't. We just, we love them, right? And we create acceptance around the fact that this is not just a child, but it's a human being who's going to make a mistake. And we accept it. And we love those children with no conditions. 
in anything in life, in a relationship that is romantic, in a team that you might be on uh, with another coworker, if you're able to love with no conditions, that's a really powerful place to be, to just give it away and watch all of the stuff that comes back to you if you do that. When you love with conditions, I will love you if that doesn't create the same openings that, that you can actually have. And so I would say definitely loving with no conditions or love unconditionally. So having that trust as your baseline, loving with no conditions, absolutely respect, having passion, or, or I would say creating passion. And one way to do that is through like giving variety, innovative fun and playfulness in the relationship, right? Having date nights and surprises, even doing things on a team, things that are fun, that are different so that the same type of thing isn't showing up all the time. People get bored. They, they want to learn and grow. So if you show up the same way every single time, you know, even if it's like a weekly meeting at work, you know, hey, we have this weekly meeting at the same place, the same time. Every week, you know, it can get really boring, like change the venue, you know, switch it up a little bit, play a fun game in the beginning or at the end. Having some form of variety to create playfulness and fun, I think, is uh, also helps. And of course, you, you can't have a, a relationship that thrives without honesty and uh, alignment things. Um, and I'll say when I say generous listening. I mean, really listening to understand your partner, your teammates, your family members, really listening to understand what's being said. And you might not agree with everything, right? Because people's feelings are not facts, but you can validate their feelings. You can honor their feelings. And, and oftentimes that fulfills needs for people, just validating it. Like you are hurt and I, and I honor what you're feeling in this moment. Thank you. I was thinking, you know, when you speak into unconditional love, we, I, I'm, I'm going to make this assumption for myself or my assessment. I've got to clear my space to show up in unconditional love. The receiver doesn't have to do that. They have their work to do, but right, that, that space that you're saying, like the giving and, and let going of our expectations. But I, I appreciate sharing that wisdom. So for our listeners who also don't know, on top of these accomplishments we're speaking into and these attributes and principles, you're also a certified ICF coach by International Coaching Federation. You're, you're a transformational trainer. And I know that you're also a co-developer and a trainer of a training called the Transformation of Race. And I'd like if you just could speak into that, right? The inspiration, I mean, we know there's a conversation in our country, but I feel like this came even before a level of consciousness that we were having on nationally. So if you could speak into it and the inspiration and a little bit about the training itself too. Yeah, thank you for, for mentioning that. Yes, so I co-created a training called uh, Transformation of Race with someone who I adore and admire. Her name is Betty Spruill. And we wrote this training together. I, I actually called her and I said, you know, we do all of these different transformational trainings. It would be amazing if we did like something we can call Transformation of Race. She said, I love that. Let, let's do it. And we started putting our heads together. And this was written right on the heels of after Amber Geiger was found guilty in the murder of Botham Jean. If you all recall, a Caucasian female cop walked into a home of a black man and shot him in his own home. And so Betty and I wrote this program, Transformation of Race, as a safe place for all races, 
colors, creeds, ages, ethnicities to come together and have a conversation and gain another level of awareness around varying worldviews and ecologies. And in this training, there are absolutely no victims, right? There is no shaming or blaming anyone. This is a training where people come and understand more about race, right? People understand what they think they already know and exploring what they don't know, they don't know yet. And so question becomes, you know, now how do you know that you don't know yet unless you come and have someone highlight it for you? So we we absolutely invite people to to really think about that. And I, I ask people, did you know that when CDs were popular, that MP3 players were coming? Or did you know that when MP3 players were, I mean, we can even go back to eight track tapes, you know, albums and then cassette tapes and then CDs and MP3 players. And, and when MP3 players were popular, did you know that streaming music would take over? Like after you've built this whole amazing MP3 library, you burned all your CDs, you spent all this time on that and you created this huge library, all of a sudden, Streaming came along and now you're paying somebody for music on a monthly basis. You don't know. So this is a place where we explore what you think you know or you don't know that you don't know. And we highlight so many things in this training. I mean, it's not just a forum where people come and discuss social responsibility. It's a place that really promotes learning and understanding of the other, right? And we talk about oneness over separation, talk about commonality rather than differences. And we promote community over clusters of isolation. And we really create a powerful experience through facilitated discussions, exercises, journaling, and a myriad of other learning tools that is offered virtually. Uh, And it it really is uh, a gift to be able to explore that. We talk about everything from microaggressions to unconscious bias to critical race theory, which is a popular topic right now, cognitive dissonance and disassociation, as well as dehumanization, self-hatred, colorism, imposter syndrome. I mean, all of those things, in addition to conversations around the illusion of what race actually is and supporting people in creating new narratives as a basis of relating from a new space. And we also support people in designing and inventing what we like to call global community, global community of oneness. So this is a place of compassion and love where, where we really support people in understanding social constructs around the, the made-up term of racism. So it can get very deep, but it's a, it's a loving space for people to really get real yeah, no, in another way. And I do believe your transformation of race also has its own Facebook, Instagram following too, for people who would like to follow that on top of your other companies. I mean, these are real tools for everyone, right? Tools for social impact, real tools. It's about awakening the real reason why we're here. Is it really to work and work, work, work and acquire things like money and homes and cars and status and war and competition, <laughs> you know, to or harming one another emotionally, physically, generationally while conquering and acquiring? Like, is that truly what, what we're here for? And is that truly what legacy looks like? It's to really speak into that and have people take another look from another lens. I appreciate the way how you shared about that because it, it felt very different than, you know, I've been in different conversations, different groups, and 
the way you presented it, I felt an acceptance and an opening to, to go, like to be in whatever that space is, because it was just beautiful how you presented it. So what's your experience growing up as a, a black woman and, and how has that influenced your decisions, the way you do things, how you created the training, how you... Yeah, I mean, I say this to people and they, they find it strange, but I really didn't know, like I knew I was black, but I really didn't know that I was different or you know, coined as the other to other folks. Like I, I've been, I've been always so confident and kind of brazen, you know, like that I didn't realize like I was the only black person in the room or at a round table or at a panel discussion or, or in a classroom, you know, when I was going to, in my studies and to other people pointed it out, like, you know, you're the only black person there, right? Tanya, like you're, oh, oh yeah, huh. Never thought about it that way. It, it, it doesn't mean, though, that I did not experience people treating me as the other, right? It just means that my way of managing it and dealing with it was very different. I was just confident in, in who I was and the place that I was in to, to be there. And so, yes, I've, I've experienced lots of inequalities and biases, conscious and unconscious. I've experienced stereotypes and microaggressions, all of those things. And what I've been through all of those is resilient and tenacious because that, that's how I was taught. Does it hurt that police have codes to refer to me as NHI, which means no human involved, or the police refer to me in other ways? Like we have a 1113 for a not me, but you know, people who look like me. We have an 1113, which is a code for an injured animal for the police when they're referring to black and brown people. There's a great book called Breaking Rank by Norm Stamper, who's a 34-year vet, former chief of police in both the cities of Seattle and San Diego, who talks about all of this stuff, right, around uh, police stuff. And so that all of those things hurt, absolutely. It doesn't change who I am, which is resilient and tenacious. You know, again, my life's work is committed to people and having people get and understand their purpose and really connecting to what a true legacy is what people talk about when they speak of legacy, all of these negative things around hurting and harming each other or the separation. Is that the legacy that we really want to leave for our children, for our grandchildren when we're gone? Because we can't take any of these things with us, right? All of the things that we acquire all the money, the, the homes, the cars, the, the status. We can't take any of those things with us. And so leaving a legacy is one of the most important things to me. And I think the way that I've managed through this as a brown person is, again, through resilience and absolute tenacity. I had my own physical grabs as you shared some of those terms um, um, emotionally. Um, I'm, I, I'm, I'm feeling a need to go, sorry. And it's not, it's to you. And it's been a time that I will say I have become aware of my own white apathy. There's been, you know, I'm a woman of words, a coach and a psychotherapist. And, and it's been a conversation. I've been like, I want to share, even creating these questions. I was very conscious of Mark and I, of, of saying, right, it's not about putting you on a spot, but I also know you're a conduit of, of this healing and this this global conversation and global community, because I, I wrote the, the next question saying, ah, like, 
what is the individual responsibility? And I, I've had some that I know that I had to learn versus sitting on the sideline and going, oh, I'm, I'm comfortable here. It's okay. I watch the show and I'll feel bad. And, you know, there's the, the trainings, but then there's relationship, person to person, community to community. Is there some actions to open up and move this conversation uh, you know, individually as well as community and global? Yeah, I mean, lots of things that we can do. I think, you know, since racism is actually a social construct, in my opinion, to create freedom and power, I would say a willingness to offer full freedom and to give up power, right? A lot of people use the term privilege and many people don't like it. They don't like the term privilege. Equality for many people could feel like oppression when you are privileged, in my opinion, right? And when I say privilege, I mean that you have ascribed to or achieved a status that puts you in a position of power where the same position is denied to others without that status. So you can be privileged in one area and not another. So I would say one place to look at is where are you, where are you privileged? Where are you, are you open to give up certain privileges and power? right? Even as a Black person, there are certain privileges that I'm not afforded that I don't have. And there are certain privileges that I've earned through how I work, my integrity, my work ethic, and things that I've achieved or accomplished in my life. And and those privileges can look like different things, right? I've had someone once tell me, you are the most entitled Black person that I know, right? Because I, I walk into a room and I own it. And I don't see it as entitled. I see it as, you know, I'm confident and I'm owning this room and I can have a conversation with anyone in this space. So I would say, you know, some of the, the things that we can work on is stop, stop othering also, right? Looking at our privileges, being willing to give up power, stop othering and discriminating against those who are perceived as different because that gives folks less opportunities. That means that people eventually won't live in poverty and will have access to the same schools. And when people have access to the same schools, they do better. When they don't have access to the same schools or the schools are worse, they don't do so well. And I don't know if you all know this, but I read somewhere, I don't remember exactly where, that that the top 80% of public school teachers are the bottom 20% of college graduates. So that means that the the public school system, for the most part, are getting the bottom of the barrel in terms of the people who come and care and nurture children who are going to public schools. Now, I'm a product of public school. I, I did okay. It doesn't mean that every single teacher in that space comes from that place, but it's something to look at in terms of what people are afforded. And that is an area that we should look at it as well, right? Like our education system, what are we really doing there? All of the things around inequality are systemic. It's in politics, it's in our economics, and they are definitely social constructs. Lots of things to look at there around mass incarceration as a replacement of the war on drugs, which was a replacement of slavery. And oh, there's lots of stuff to look at there. And there's a lot of 
I want to say a misunderstanding of what critical race theory is and why it's so important to teach it. Why we have patterns of inequality that we have been enduring since the Emancipation Proclamation, right? How the law contributes to subordinate status of our indigenous African-Americans, people from Asia to all over, right? So understanding it to intervene into why the greatest hopes were not being realized were and how they were encoded in the law is still a mystery to me, right? We, we had hopes and inherent beliefs that what was in the Constitution and what would be what was in the Constitution and the law that we expressly thought was true, that everybody, every human being would be free from what occurred. And after the civil rights movement, laws, new laws were enacted. And are we really free, right? Is there, is there a neutral referee? So people want to be able to tell their stories so that we can do better and we can receive the promises that were embedded into the Constitution. You know, as part of our podcast, it's going to link to what you just shared, is we have a call to action. We ask our listeners to embody a part of our conversation and we like to create that with our guests. And I don't want to put words out there, but I'm feeling like there's a, an aspect here that this could be part of it is, is there a conversation, you know, of, uh, you know, we get to go out as we, we also do the calls of action, right? How do we have a conversation, not about the other, the separation, but I also want to be open to something that you like, you know, you, is there a call to action that you would like to encourage our listeners to do? And I just want to refine that because you were sharing amazing things. And then I was thinking of, but on a daily level, like an everyday interaction, that this could be something in the challenge because I think it's the daily interaction. Yeah, both, both good questions. Uh, so I would say, I'll start with yours, Mark. On a, on a daily level, I, I want to invite everybody to talk to people every day, like challenge yourself. Maybe start off as a 30-day challenge. That if there's somebody that you see, a stranger especially, have a conversation and talk to people that you might perceive as different than you. And different doesn't necessarily mean that person's skin color is different than mine. Different can mean that someone just grew up in another area, right? Urban versus suburban. Someone different because understanding other people's worldviews is where we learn and grow. There's no way that you can really understand the struggle of a brown person unless they tell it to you, right? Uh, so learning and understanding, you know, learning and understanding people is what is really going to support us in growth. And, and it's a shame that it's, it's good that people saw and some people took action on what happened with George Floyd, but it's a shame that it's the same conversation 40, 50, 60 years ago. What we saw is not something new. We did see it in a, on a different platform, but it's not new. And so I want to invite everybody on a daily basis, do a 30-day challenge. Go out and talk to other people that are perceived as different, that may have grown up differently, that may live in another place that might not be in the same socioeconomic status as you. I would say do that. And in terms of your question, Claudine, around, 
you know, other things that we can do to take action. Be mindful of what you're buying and purchasing, right? Because capitalism is like, you know, part of the American way. And most people don't even know or understand that they are buying into things that don't support the ESG model, right? This the socially conscious model that we have around environmental, social, and governance. So be mindful of what you purchase and what you're putting your money into and make sure that environmentally people are looking at things in a responsibility way. Socially, people are looking at things in a responsible way. And by social, I mean not just diversity, but like labor stuff and conflict as well. And what are the governance structures that are out there that you're putting your money into? So that ESG consciousness is super important. And I want to say, lastly, be altruistic, be in contribution, be a giver. If you're going to give your money anywhere, give it to education. Could be the Paris Foundation, Stimulating Minds, and it doesn't have to be, but give your money to something that supports education because education is, is really the only way that we're going to break this cycle. Thank you. That's two calls to action. I love the options here. And if our listeners choose, we will put that up on Facebook at the BTO podcast. Thank you, Tanya. We have a quick fire questions, but before we get to that, I just wanted to ask you, not just your vision, you've shared a lot of vision, but it could be the vision of the world or whatever words of wisdom you want to share, what else you want to uh, share with the audience. It could be your vision of the world on a deeper level or because you've shared a lot. I did. <laughs> I hope it's okay that I've talked That's this wonderful. much. Sure. Sure. <laughs> I love your... Um, yeah, I mean, my vision is it's really a world of equality where everyone gets that they're worthy and they matter. That's it. Quality, you are worthy and you matter. It, it is. Wonderful. One too. So I'm going to take the first quick fire question. Who has been the most influential person in your life to help create who you are now and why? Ooh, I want to say it was a culmination of my, of the people who raised me, my mom, my dad, my grandmother, and my grandfather. I lived between two homes growing up. And I think one of the reasons why I am who I am now is because my mom and dad, we lived in poverty. We literally did not have any money. My grandparents were considered middle-class, right? They were a working class folks. They had jobs, they went to work every day and they owned a home and they made a living that way. My parents taught me how to be resilient and tenacious and how to make a way out of absolutely no way. My grandparents taught me the things that you get to have and who you get to be in order not to live the way that your parents are living. And I don't mean that in a bad way, meaning if you don't like how they're living, then you get to go to school and get an education and not just do well, but excel. And if you don't like the way your parents are living, then you show up in integrity, integrity with time, integrity with your commitments, uh, integrity with everything in your life so that people will, will take you seriously as you're navigating the world. So I, I would say all four have influenced me tremendously and have shown me and made me who I am today. What does God mean to you? God to me means all, everyone. Oneness, connection, worldly, the universe, 
God means every single one of us collaborating and being in connection. And if I was to ask you one or two books of impact that you would recommend, these these are the gems. What would be the two books that you would recommend, Tanya? I mentioned one of them already, and I think I'm trying to think of, of, of another book, but definitely, wow, there's so many great books out yes, there. Yes, there is. There's so many. I Let me ask, are, are you asking about books about race, about life, about yours. whatever you Yeah, like if you were to say, like, this is Tanya's reading vault. These, these two, two books, these, these I go to, right, right? You may reread them or you may keep them around and not, but they're, they're there. Oh, many. Okay. I'm going to say from Untethered Soul, an amazing book, people really being connected to spirit and, and having that responsibility that I spoke of, right? Living every day as I'm the person responsible and that I'm the creator of, of all of my results. Um, so Untethered Soul is an absolute amazing book. Um, so I highly recommend that. I'm also going to offer up a book that I think, because I think everybody has gone through trials, tribulations, traumas, and turmoils, something that will support people in all walks of life, whatever that might be for you specifically. There's a book by Melody Beattie, Codependent No More, is an amazing book. So I would recommend that book along with the the workbook to go along with it, like to really do the work. I think that that that's like an amazing book. I also want to recommend there's a book by James Baldwin called Just Above My Head. Amazing read. Another book by Nelson Mandela, A Long Walk to Freedom. And there are a ton of other books on our website, parisgroup.com. There's a section in Transformation of Race that are some resources that are wonderful reads yeah, right. um, as well. Thank you. Right? I mean, I can go on and on. You know, The Eighth Habit, there are like so many good things um, out there. The Power of Now, whoo, that's an amazing book. The Power of Now, definitely read that. I know. We can keep going for an hour on books, right? Do you have any daily habits or routines that have you show up effectively? I do. And, and they mean a lot to me. If I don't do them, I'm not as effective in my day, which is why I know they support me in showing up effectively. So I, one of the first things that I do when I wake up is I do a, a meditation and it can be depending on my day. I mean, it can be anywhere from 10 minutes to an hour to start my day in, in meditation just to get centered in my body. So that's a practice. I have a practice of hydration where I drink a, like, so right after my meditation, I drink a lot of water uh, in the morning. Um, I drink about a gallon of water a day and I try to drink about half of that right after my meditation. If I'm able to, I'll drink about half of it immediately after uh, as a practice. I also have the practice of gratitude in, in the evening before I lay my, I, my head down. I say what I'm grateful for before I go to sleep and do an, So I, sometimes I combine my evening meditations in gratitude by doing a gratitude meditation. If I want to get to bed a little earlier, <laughs> I'd read at least 10 pages of a book a, a day, you know, 
more if I can, but a minimum of 10 pages. And one other thing that I do is I create a, a list. I either do it the night before or the first thing in the morning, who I'm going to be uh, today or who I'm planning to be the next day. All of the things that I'd like to accomplish that day and what will I have as a result of those, right? So be, do, have. Who am I going to be today? What are all the things I'm going to do? And, um, and I have it literally posted as a note on my laptop on the upper right-hand corner where I refer to it, you know, multiple times a day and update my list daily to make sure that I'm being and I'm doing what I'm saying that I'm going to do so that I can have the results that I'm looking to attain. I've, I've never thought about it in that way. I, I do my daily intentions and I always check in, like, am I having that happen? Am I, am I having peace and flow show up? I'm using that as an example, but I, I, I love the connection between the do in there. Um, so thank you. Yeah, I want to add that too. I have the meditation, have the journal, have all the other stuff down, but that one I do not have. That one I like. Yeah, I, I want to thank you. Uh, you know, I I honored to share space and time with you. Uh, I have admired your work and your commitment, um, and I want to say thank you, thank you for for your being contribution in, in service and living in in your values and principles and the way that you show up. Thank yeah. you both. This was fun. Yeah. Good. It's wonderful having you. Yes. It's so nice to see your face. Yes, it was. And it in, is. in uh, your spirit. It's just you're you're a beautiful human being. You you know. Thank you. I you appreciate are. it. Thank you. I admire you. You inspire me. So it's it's wonderful. Thank you. And you did a, the honor of having you. Appreciate it. Thanks for making Thank it happen. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And um, you know, I love the show. So thank you for uh inviting me on and allowing me to participate and give to others in this way. Mm-hmm. That's what I live for. Yes. Same here. Thank you. For living into that. And for our listeners, right? We want to thank you for listening to the Breakthrough of the Ordinary podcast. We hope you enjoyed this deep dive into effective tools and wisdoms to live your extraordinary life. If you'd like to support the podcast, please leave a rating and share with others on social media to catch the latest episodes please follow the bto podcast on facebook instagram and youtube thanks again and we'll see you next time